commitment, dedication, success. Copland, Keebler, and Wallace, the most trusted name in executive search and consulting, welcomes you to the KKNW podcast, where we delve deep into the not so simple art of hospitality. And now here's your host, award-winning journalist, compelling storyteller, and video strategist, Corey Saban. And hello again, everybody. We have a fantastic show for you today with two really dynamic people. The first is Dick Copland, one of the founders of Copland, Keebler & Wallace. He spent 35 years as a general manager and VP for nationally recognized clubs. And Dick has a strong commitment to professional development, not only for his team, but for the industry and the managers as a whole. Dick is a sought-after keynote speaker on executive leadership, team development, and the critically important Board Dynamics Model Clubs program he developed to help boards and managers identify and execute their roles and responsibilities successfully and consistently. More important, Dick is a terrific person with a heart of gold. Also joining us today is Patrick Nelson, the founder and CEO of Loyalty Point Leadership. He uses his personal experiences to help develop leaders at all levels, from the battlefields of Iraq and Afghanistan, where he completed three combat deployments, earning a bronze star and a purple heart to the NFL sidelines. Patrick's success is a testament to his ability to face adversity head-on and thrive on challenges. He's consulted and led leadership development workshops for Fortune 500 companies and small family-owned businesses all across the globe. Patrick, too, has a big heart as he is very involved with Tee It Up for the Troops. Dick and Patrick, it's wonderful to have you with us today. Hey, Corey. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks, Corey. Excited to be here. So I want to start off with you, Dick, and we've heard you say in the past that you must be able to lead yourself first if you want anyone to follow you. And a big part of that is having a high level of self-awareness. So what advice do you have to help others build their self-awareness? Great, uh, great question, Corey. You know, it's not easy. Uh, I find that uh, self-awareness is something I have to work on continuously. And I've had a few uh, strategies over the years that have, that have helped me in that process. And one, of course, is having two great business partners who are not shy about giving me feedback. And they, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty adept at keeping me self-aware of where I'm uh, going off the track a little bit or going off the trip. So they're excellent at that. But, but that is an important piece because you, you do need to have people who you trust who can, who can give you feedback and can, can share with you, uh, you know, what you need to know and, and to help you be more self-aware of, of your strengths and your weaknesses. And one of the uh, strategies that, that I've also enjoyed using is we've taken probably every personality profile that's out there, and, and probably the one that we like the best is the Lumina, which, which really kind of share, shares the, with you, uh, you know, where your, your strengths and your weaknesses lie. And, and uh, that's been helpful. But I think Probably the best tool I've engaged is is using my journal. I typically write in my journal every morning, and it's been interesting over the 30-some years I've done that, when I go back and look now, I think that journal has, has really kept me focused on not only some goals and objectives, but also has been an interesting history for how I have developed as, a, as an individual in, in my business as well as a person and my personal relationships. So I think that's a that's been a great uh uh, opportunity for me to really to really go back, review myself, and where am I, and 
and, and trying to keep myself grounded and, and to keep myself aware of, of who I am and, and what I'm doing day in and day out. So that's my long answer to a very good question, Corey. Thank you. Well, Patrick, what does self-awareness mean to you? Well, first of all, Corey, I definitely want to agree with what Dick said. It doesn't matter, you know, who you are or what position you're in. We can all raise our self-awareness. We all have these blind spots out there. It doesn't matter if you're the head of the company, if you're the GM, uh, or it's your first day on the job. We can all improve our self-awareness. And it's, you know, as Dick said, it's really understanding your strengths, challenges, weaknesses, limitations, but also really understanding how you impact those around you. And our goal, obviously, should be to have congruence between how we see ourselves and how others see us. But these blind spots, the, the things that other people know about us that we don't, can really get in the way and impact that. And, and for me, feedback is really one of the best ways to help you uncover those. And, and the word feedback is one of those that can really make people shudder for, for a couple of reasons. One, it's usually got a negative connotation behind it. If someone says, hey, I'm going to need you to come into my office. I want to give you some feedback you're probably thinking, uh-oh, this can't be good. And the other thing is many people just really aren't trained on how to give empowering feedback to others. You know, we either give people feedback that's sort of just fluff and doesn't really help them grow and develop, or we just don't give it at all, which can definitely be a symptom of a much larger cultural challenge where there's little trust and vulnerability. And I definitely think giving feedback is a skill uh, that people need to be able to develop to give somebody – feedback that they can actually take and inspire them to action. And there's a lot of great models and tools available to help people do that. And we certainly don't need to go too far down the rabbit hole. But if you're listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, I want to uncover those blind spots, but I just don't get any feedback. Well, one, you got to ask for it. And when you ask for feedback, don't just say, hey, Corey, how am I doing at work? Because Corey's probably just going to think he actually really don't care what he has to say. And he's going to tell you, yeah, you're doing good, kid. Keep it up. On the other hand, if you say, hey, Corey, what are two things that you think I should focus on to be a better leader within my role? And when you ask it like that, it lets Corey know that you're actually interested in what he has to say, it's going to put a little bit more thought into it to really help you uncover some of those blind spots. Hey, Patrick, if I could pick up on that thought, because those are good thoughts, you said something that is always a hit of nerve with me, and you talked about feedback. I often have people say, you know, I'd like to give you some constructive criticism. And I always tell people, that's an oxymoron. It does not exist. There's no such thing as constructive criticism. <laughs> I think what you wanted to do is to, to give me some feedback. And I always welcome the feedback, so please give me some feedback. And and so I try to tell people in our business, get that term out of your vocabulary because it, it, it doesn't exist. That's a negative connotation. Whereas I think feedback generally can be looked at as, as favorable or, or positive. But good, good yeah. comments, Corey. Or, or yeah, I, I, I'm re really glad that you said that. I just also want to caveat on that as well is we, I don't think we give enough positive feedback, at least in my experiences. And there's been, a, I'm a little bit of a leadership geek and I look at all these studies and research. And, um, a lot of that research has shown anywhere between three to five pieces of positive feedback are needed for that, that one piece of what you're calling the developmental, critical, or negative feedback to actually stick. And, you know, so what's that telling me? I, I usually, I go with the four-to-one method. Four positive pieces of feedback for every one negative piece. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, we're walking around with our little notebook and we're keeping a tally 
okay, you showed up on time, your hair looks nice, your shoes are tied, your breath smells good. Then you punch them in the gut with something bad, right? We know it doesn't work like that. All it tells me is we should just give more positive feedback than we do negative. And, and my advice to that is uh, certainly keeping it separate as well. So how do you get started with that, Patrick, for the manager that's potentially doesn't like controversy or has to deal with an employee who's been somewhat controversial? Yeah, that, that's a great question because that's really a lot of the, the, the main reasons why people avoid giving feedback is because we don't like confrontation. And the reason usually that confrontation happens is because we don't know how to deliver that feedback in a way that's empowering to the other person. And there's a great model out there that I like to utilize that came out of the Center for Creative Leadership that's called SBI, Situation, Behavior, and Impact. And what it really does is it helps you anchor that feedback into a specific time or place. You know, if you tell somebody, hey, last week at that meeting, you were really rude. Well, first of all, they had nine different meetings last week. So you might be thinking of one situation. They might be thinking about another. And then if you just tell them they were rude, what does that do, right? You're judging them. Give them a specific behavior that they can focus on. If you say, hey, at that staff meeting on Thursday morning, you were texting on your phone. Now that's a specific behavior that can be recorded, audio or video recorded, and they can't argue with that. So it really helps cut down on that defensiveness. So I, I like to use that, that method, situation behavior impact, but I'm also a realist. I know not everything fits nice and, and, and simple into those perfect templates that you can do in training. It doesn't happen like that in the real world. So my advice to people, focus on behavior when giving feedback. Patrick, can I pick up on that? Because, again, you, you're hitting exactly on a, on a process that I like to use when I was managing clubs. And I had a problem employer. I shouldn't say problem employer. I had an issue with an employee who was creating an issue or a problem. And I would call them in, and I would use my, I called it a five-step process. Now, I won't go through all five steps, but just basically it, it echoes what you're saying, Patrick. And I would say, you know, uh, Fred, uh, you, you've, been a, you've been a great employee here for a number of years, but there's a behavior that I'm observing that is causing me concern. I never said you did something bad or wrong. I just said there's a behavior that I'm observing that is causing me some concern. And here's what behavior is. And here's what I'd suggest you can do to change that. And, and, and quite frankly, Fred, here's what I've done in similar situations when I've had a similar behavior that I've perhaps not, uh, you know, been doing properly. Here's, here's how I've changed. So I try to, to lead that employee through the, the uh, analysis of, look, it's a behavior. It's not you. You're not a bad person. But it's a behavior that we need to correct. And, and there will be consequences if you don't. And you don't make that clear as well. But I, I, I'm right with you that, on that, Patrick. It's, you just focus on the behavior, not on the, on the person. Mm-hmm. I, I like that approach a lot. Patrick, uh, you've been through some pretty challenging situations in your life, and first and foremost, from a challenging childhood to your time in the military. Thank you for your service, by the way. And now as a relatively new entrepreneur, so I'd imagine there'd be many situations that you've had to really manage your emotions. So what do you tell people that can help them manage their reactions a little bit better, particularly in stressful situations? Yeah, great, great question, Corey. Um, especially very relevant now during COVID, mm-hmm. where you know we, we've everybody's been riding that roller coaster of emotions, and, and I've definitely been through my share of challenges. But one thing that's really helped me is just keeping things in perspective. And I know that's a lot easier said than done, especially when you're in those moments of high stress and emotion. 
for myself, it's the fact that I've been through different experiences that really allows me to step outside of my shoes and see things from that other point of view. But for those who may not have those experiences, it's important to really learn how to manage those emotions in the moment. You know, when I, I left the Army in December 2008, in January 2009, I was sitting in the college classroom with a bunch of 18, 19-year-old kids. And I'll never forget, I, my, my first job outside the military, I was hired as a marketing intern at the Minnesota Vikings training camp. And I'll never forget that first day because the person in charge of all the interns, it was another intern, a 21-year-old kid with a clipboard. <laughs> and, and he's going around, he's letting everybody know what their task is going to be for the day. And he gets to me and says, Patrick, you're going to go over there and work at Station 17. And I turn around to where he's pointing, and it's a bounce house. And I said, the bounce house? He said, yeah, you're going to watch the kids jump in the bounce house. And my jaw almost hit the ground, and I could just feel that physiological reaction my body was having. I started to get a little shaky. My heart rate went up. Like, did not, didn't this guy understand who I was? I had a bronze star, purple heart, all that time leading soldiers in combat. And now I'm relegated to watching kids jump in the bouncy house? It's it, I could feel my emotions wanting to take over, but I had this vision at the time of working in professional sports. And I knew if I would have let those emotions and reaction manifest into behavior, there was no way that it was going to come true. And so one of the best pieces of advice that I ever received came from a former colleague of mine who used to fly F-16s in the Air Force. One day he, he asked me, he said, hey, what do you think one of the first things they teach us in fighter pilot training is when an alarm goes off in the cockpit. And I, I said, I'm, you know, you push a bunch of buttons and you call mayday and then you eject. I have, I have no idea. He said, the very first thing they teach us to do is to wind the clock because you can't break anything by winding the clock. And it's making your brain take this brief pause to override that fear-driven reaction and trigger a more thought-out response instead. And, it, you, you know, we've heard a lot of people saying, oh, just take a breath or, or, or take a break. Well, what's really tough with me is, is wind the clock. Just like we remember stop, drop, and roll, I remember wind the clock. It's something that reminds me to take a step back, take a breath, because there's a lot going on in our brain. There, there's obviously been a lot of development over the last two or three decades in neuroscience and talking about, you know, the, the fight, flight, or freeze reaction and really what's going on in our brain. And if you really truly want to be able to override that, the first thing you have to do is take a step back and take a breath and then go ahead and re-engage. And thankfully for me, that, that first day with the Vikings, I was able to wind the clock and eventually went on to work in, in football operations with the Vikings. Um, it, and it was a great experience for me. But definitely for, for those people, when you're in the moment, remember, wind the clock. Hey, Patrick, I want to pick up on that with another metaphor since you mentioned the pilot. In the programs that Kurt and Tom and I do, our management and training programs and leadership programs, we often talk about the pilot's pause. And uh, I picked that up years ago when I was talking to somebody who was a pilot, and he said the airlines typically suggest that, that you have a 24-hour break between alcohol and flying an airplane. And I said, you know, that's a great metaphor for emotionally charged decisions. If you have a difficult decision to make or an emotionally charged decision, give it 24 hours before you respond. Uh, you know, Webster defines uh, respond as a positive way to answer an issue, and he defines react as a negative 
And too often today, we're pushed into those negative reactions, especially with emails and instant communication. You know, react now, react now, react now. And I've found over the years, and I think people that I've shared this with have found that if they can take a, a very emotionally charged decision and just give it 24 hours before you respond to it, your decision, your result is usually much, much better and uh, much more rational and much more well thought out. Um, so, again, that's picking up on, you know, that's kind of the winding the clock concept or, or maybe holding on to the clock for 24 hours. But I like that a lot. That's a really good point that both of you bring up. And it's interesting, Dick, in this sitting, I like your definition of respond, and I like it a lot. But however, I will say in this 24-hour news cycle that we're in, in this world of immediacy, what do you do while thinking about that response? What advice do you have for people? Maybe charting the pros and cons of a response, ignore, you know, sitting, trying to block your mind. What do you suggest? Well, I'll go first, uh, uh, Corey. I realize it's difficult. It's hard. I often don't respond to an email the same day. Sometimes it's a couple days later. And I know people say, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. Well, you know what? You can do that. Believe it or not, you can do that. And once people understand that uh, I'm not going to jump through hoops every five minutes, uh, they, they kind of expect, uh, okay, he's going to get back to me, but I realize it's not going to be immediately. And and I think there's just this, this concept that we've got to get back to people immediately. And I think we've got to get away from that. I, I think we've just got to slow it down a little bit. And, uh, you know, you, you, you can manage your own process. You don't need to let the world manage your process. So give yourself permission. Exactly. Pat, what do you think, Patrick? Yeah, I agree with what, what Dick is saying. I think you need to find what works best for you. And for myself in those situations, if, if I need to, you know, make a big decision, one, I, I can be a pretty impulsive person. And it's one of my challenges that I know that I have that I, I continuously try to work on. And so one thing that, that's really important to me, and I think that has helped me overcome a lot of the challenges I face, is really surrounding myself with the right people, people who have my best interest in mind and want to see me succeed people that I can turn to for advice and having conversations with them around the topic really helps me sort of talk things through and just open my eyes to different perspectives. Um, so again, that's what's worked for me, Corey. I know you mentioned right now that pros and cons list. I know people, Hey, that works great for them. I encourage you to find out what works good for you. And you might have to test a couple different things out and play around with it a little bit. But find out what's working well for you and, and, uh, and, and make it happen. Well, I want to talk about a charity that both of you are very passionate about before we segue to the next topic, and that is Tee It Up for the Troops. Copland, Keebler, and Wallace has proudly supported the mission of Tee It Up for the Troops since it was founded in 2005. Private golf clubs across the country can support America's veterans through the mission of Tee It Up for the Troops in many different ways, including hosting a fundraising event, encouraging member sponsorship, and by donating a foursome for their auctions. We encourage you to learn more about how you can support their efforts by going to teeitupforthetroops.org. Dick, a term that I've heard quite a bit, and it's really gained a great deal of popularity, is servant leadership. But I know it's been something that you have really embraced throughout your life. So if you could explain what it means to you to be a servant leader 
and what we can do better to become servant leaders. Corey, uh, a lot of people talk about it. You're right. It's become a buzzword, and I think uh, more people talk about it than actually do something about it. And, and let me explain what I, what I mean by that. Um, and I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke, but I've got to go back to a time when I was managing clubs. And one of the things that I, that I did that uh, I think is probably an example of what I would call maybe servant leadership, um, every Easter and Mother's Day were the biggest two clubs events at the, at the club where we would have 600 people we would serve. I'll, I'll back, uh, hurry the story up. But every time we had that kind of a crowd, it just put a lot of stress, of course, on everybody. Uh, but especially the dish room and the dish, the dish machine operators. And at the end of uh, Easter Sunday, I did something in my first year at this particular club. I, uh, everybody was worn out, and, of course, the, the kitchen was stacked full of dishes. I walked into the kitchen, took my suit coat off and hung it on the bread rack, rolled up my sleeves, and I said to Tim, our main dishwasher, where do you want me? And he said, oh, Mr. K, you don't need to do this. I said, where do you want me? And he said, well, you take the front of the machine. I said, good. Well, you know, all of a sudden what happened is some of the other managers and maitre d's saw what I was doing. I didn't say a word. Didn't say a word to anybody about what they should or shouldn't do. And all of a sudden we had a team of about 10 people, uh, uh, you know, employees helping these dishwashers. So instead of getting done at 8 o'clock that night, they got done at 6 o'clock. Now, that in my mind is an example of what I think servant leadership is. It, that's not necessarily talking about it. It's actually doing something. And again, those are the only two days I would do that. And I would never ask anybody to do it. I would never suggest that anybody else could do that. But it was just my way of saying to the, the folks here, hey, you know, we, we need to we need to help you through this and lead you through this. And I'm here with you. So and it was pretty impactful. And I think it was a, a good way to, to build uh, some real spirit of core with our employee team. So lead by example, Patrick, as a military person who was in the battlefield, I would assume servant leadership is at the core of who you are. It, it absolutely is, Corey, and I definitely agree with, with what Dick was saying. And, and it made me think of, you know, something that I tend to tell people a lot is that we really mirror the behavior of others around us. And, and that's for better or for worse, right? If we're not doing the right thing when it comes to these leadership skills and, and practices and behaviors that, that we know we need to do, how can we expect those around us to do it? I, I think Dick's example of, of him getting there and getting his hands dirty and others seeing that as well is a great example of that. You know, being a servant leader is really just meeting the needs of others. And for me, I think it really starts with leadership visibility. You have to be present. I oftentimes have people say, oh, I just wish I could spend more time with my employees, but I, I have so much to do here in the office. Well, one, how high of a priority is it really for you to be out there with your people? Maybe you're not making it a high enough priority. Two, if you have a lot to do, maybe you need to learn how to delegate some of those tasks to other people. So it definitely starts with leadership visibility, and it reminds me, of the first platoon leader I had on my first deployment to Afghanistan, a guy by the name of John Post. And um, John was the type of guy, so he's a young lieutenant, few years removed from West Point. But what he lacked in experience, he more than made up for in his leadership behavior. And at the time, I was 22 years old, a young sergeant, already got 12 months of serving in Iraq under my belt. 
and John's in charge of the entire platoon. And he was the type of guy, just the epitome of a servant leader. He could, he could sit you down, and, and I've seen him do it. He could sit a soldier down and tell him the 12 different ways they stunk at life, right? But that soldier would leave that conversation with a smile on their face, ready to charge up that proverbial hill for that guy because they knew that he had their best interest in mind. He wanted to see him succeed. He's going to be by him every single step of the way. And he's going to equip him with every single resource they needed to be successful. And, and another thing that John did really well, which he's a great listener. We know listening is important. We, we all know that. But it's still a very difficult skill to develop, and especially in the, the day and age that we're in. And it's specifically something called active listening, where you're hanging on to every single word that person says, totally focused, and you're not thinking about what you're going to say next. And again, that can be really hard to do, and there's a lot of great um, exercises out there that you can do to help you focus. As somebody that does struggle with focus, one exercise that I do anytime um, before I go into a meeting or I have a phone call, it's just a little breathing exercise. And it's, it's called 448, some note as box breathing. You breathe in for four seconds, you hold it for four seconds, and you exhale for eight. Now, I'm, I'm not a big meditation guru or anything like that, but I found that that very simple breathing exercise helps me a lot when it comes to me being focused on the, the task at hand. And so that's definitely something that's easy for everybody to do, and I, and I, I, I ask everybody listening to go ahead and give it a try. You've got nothing to lose. It's kind of like a seatbelt. It's only going to work if you use it. Well, it's interesting you talked about active listening. Another core ingredient, I would think, and studies validate this, is that empathy has been one of the top characteristics that people identify in what they want from a leader. So how can people be more empathetic, Patrick, to build high-performing teams? Yeah, that, that's, that's another great question and uh, definitely goes hand-in-hand hand with what we've been talking about. And I, I, I would imagine that, that Dick w- would agree. I mean, empathy is important, but it's definitely been a, a buzzword over the last decade or so as uh, more people have been speaking on it, training on it. And, and really what empathy is to me, and it goes back to what I said earlier, seeing things from somebody else's perspective and understanding what they're feeling. It doesn't mean you're taking on their problems but it's being able to step in their shoes a little bit and see things from how they see it. And and there's a lot of great ways to really develop empathy. And I think one of the most important ways is just getting to know people, developing those authentic relationships, spending time with them, being a good listener, and, and sort of two areas. One is understanding their narrative, where they're coming from, you know, our narratives, especially, you know, when, when I think of the situations I've been through in the past and really understanding how it impacts who I am today is really important. So one, understanding that other person's narrative, their situation, but then also recognizing the bias that you might bring to that situation as well, which more than likely is probably influenced by your own narrative. So it's really being able to, to step outside your own shoes and really develop those relationships with those around you. And when you're able to do that, you're going to build trust. People are going to be more vulnerable. You're you're going to uncover those blind spots 
and, and you're going to really build that high-performing team. Corey, I just add on to that that you know my good friend Kevin McDonald gave me a question that he asks our mastermind group every month, and it it's one that I've started to use, and I think it's very effective. And it's very simple. He'll say to to me or to anybody, he'll say, Dick, what do you need right now? Mm. What is it that you need? And Kevin's premise is that people sometimes struggle with their relationships because they don't understand each other's needs. And once you understand that, it, it really opens up the communication pathways. And, and it's been a great question for me when I've talked to people. I say, what is it that you need right now? What is it that I can help you with? And so, again, it kind of dovetails into what Patrick's talking about with, with the empathy, but I think that's a, that's a great way to, to, uh, to, to show empathy in, 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 a, in a very uh, uh, constructive manner. Well, empathy is important, and Dick, so is what you do in the team at Copland, Keebler, and Wallace. You guys are the most trusted name in executive search and consulting. You deliver what you promise, and you bring an unmatched process, persistence, and presence in the industry. For Copland, Keebler, and Wallace, it's not just their business, it's their passion. Learn more at www.kknw.com. So, Dick and Patrick, I have a question for both of you. There are so many young leaders out there. And with technology moving at the rapid clip that it is, Dick, we've talked about the slow to respond and to take your time, and we've talked about listening. What's one piece of advice that you would each give to them, these young leaders who hope to one day become general managers? Patrick, what's one thing that they should know or take away or one piece of advice that you would share? Oh my goodness, just one thing. I've got about 12 different things running through my mind right now that I want to tell everybody. But one thing that I would say to the younger generation is to learn from those that came before you. I've had some great mentors in my life that, um, especially in the veteran community, who went through challenges when they separated, transitioned from the military to being a civilian. And yeah, they didn't have a lot of the great resources that we have today. And we certainly are still laughing in that, but they didn't have nearly enough. And many of them have just been great sounding boards for me to be able to relate to and to learn from, and especially people like Dick, who's, who's really kind of taken me under his wing and offered his assistance and guidance as I start my new venture as well. Learn from those that came before you uh, and really continue to cultivate those leadership skills and behaviors, leadership, it's a journey. It's not a destination. Patrick, that was great, and I that, that would also be one of mine. But, uh, Corey, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give you two quick uh, little tactics. Patrick's more strategic in that thinking, and I like that. But my two quick tactics for anybody would be, number one, for you young folks, return your phone calls immediately. And number two, always be 15 minutes early for every appointment. And if you do that, you'll set yourself apart. You'll be in the top 2%. I think those are great tips that both of you have offered. And, you know, Patrick, you're right. When you have Dick Coplin in your corner, you cannot go wrong. He is a terrific (laughs) person, as I had said earlier. And uh, like you, I mean, I'm fortunate to know him and, more importantly, call him a friend. I think Dick is one of the best people that I know and works in this industry. And I just love the fact that I get to call on him and lean on him and talk to him at any time I want. So thank you, Dick, and very, thank you, Patrick. Very kind, Corey. Thank you so much. <laughs> in the spirit of the holiday season, thank you, Corey there and you Patrick. Go. Well, thank, thank you, you both 
for taking the time and sharing your knowledge. This has been another excellent leadership podcast. I'm Corey Sabin on behalf of Copland, Keebler, and Wallace. Have a wonderful day and thank you for listening.